thank you. It is good to be here. This is a cell phone, and I don't usually bring a cell phone when I go to church or go to a meeting like this, but there are no time pieces around here. So this is my time piece. I don't have a watch. So I do have it off. I'll not be answering any calls during the message. I've heard of guys that have done that. Uh, I can't imagine that. When I've heard those stories, I'm like, surely that's not true, but they tell it as if it is. I can't imagine answering my phone in the middle of a message. That would be phenomenal, but it could buzz. Hopefully not. All right. I've been looking forward to uh, this week, um, getting together with uh, brothers and sisters that I, that I know, and of course meeting some new uh, brethren as well. I, I'm not acquainted with this area. This was my first trip into this part of Arkansas, and uh, you know, you have your, your thoughts of, well, people outside of Arkansas have their thoughts of Arkansas, and I'm not going to tell you what those are, but <laughs> they, they have uh, but you have a beautiful state. It is, uh, I've I've been to certain parts of Arkansas that, uh, that I didn't think were that beautiful, but this was absolutely gorgeous driving up uh, through the hills. And, and um, I understand that we have to go through the hills going back, too, so it'll be another beautiful uh, drive. But I appreciate all the work that's gone, up, gone on uh, by the church in preparing and hosting this. As I know this is a, a big thing for the church to put on. So we, Brother Russ and I, Brother Russ is a elder in our church. We served together and he came with me and I was really excited about him coming because I want him to meet other pastors and brethren here as well. And uh, Brother John, it's good to see you here. I, I wondered whether if I didn't think you'd be here, but uh, you are recuperating. Praise the Lord for that. Well, this is the first of three messages relating to the subject of, of unity and um, my task, as I looked at the headings, and this was assigned to me, we, um, Brother Ryan and I talked about this some, but this is what he wanted me to cover, and I, I look at my task as the easiest of the three. I'm looking forward to hearing the other two, and um, um, as I said to someone, I think really I could just stand up here and read Scripture, because a biblical overview is what I'm supposed to be doing, and so a biblical overview means... You don't need to know my thoughts. You need to know what the Bible says about, about this subject of the unity of the brethren. Uh, so I, as, I, as I got to working on the subject, and this is something that has been really uh, pressed upon me now for, I would say, years, um, but probably in the last year, maybe two years, it's even been pressed more greatly upon me as I've gone to the Scriptures, as I've had to deal with some uh, tensions in relationships, and, and I've had to search the Scriptures myself to see what do the Scriptures say. And some of you who have known me for a long time, I, I, I won't name names, but I can remember maybe our first meeting wasn't didn't look like unity of the brethren, and didn't look like what you're going to hear me say tonight. And I've learned, I've grown uh, over the years, and I hope, hope you have as well. And uh, this is a serious, serious subject. There is no way I can give, really give a full biblical overview. I can give an overview, but I mean it's going to be a scanty overview of this subject. The scriptures are full of 
this idea of unity. You're going to see it's really, really important to God. The unity of the brethren. Now, as I go along, I'm very likely going to raise some questions um, in your mind. Maybe not intentionally, but that's just the way it works when something like this is done. An overview is given, and, um, and I may not answer the questions that come to your mind in, in full, uh, but what I am hoping to do is to be a part of, with the other two fellows, of raising healthy, helpful discussion about this subject of unity. I, I didn't come here to answer all the questions. I, I came here to kind of stir us up towards some thinking about the subject of, of unity, Christian unity, or unity among the brethren, and from a biblical overview. As I looked at the scriptures... I saw that there was a unity of doctrine, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. And by the way, this is, a, uh, this is not a customary message, probably not for a number of us preachers. We typically take a text and work through a text. And that's not what I'm doing tonight, obviously, in an overview, a biblical overview. But, so I'll be reading a lot of scriptures. But Ephesians 4, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and uh, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of, of Christ. So there, there is in the Scriptures a maturing in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ and of sound doctrine, and that's critical. And In fact, this fellowship is, to some degree, existent in, in, in part, maybe a large part, in this unity of faith. We're drawn together because we believe alike in some critical areas. So there, there is a unity of the faith that's important. And I think there's also a unity of practice that's important. I, I see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 as an example when Paul writes, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to, to behave thyself in the house of God, how you ought to behave yourself. There there is a, a way to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of, of the truth. So there, there is an expected behavior in the church, which seems to press us toward unity of practice. Some have used the word regulative principle. I don't necessarily, I don't use that word really. I don't use that expression. I'm against the expression, but I, I don't use it. But I do believe that there is to be, at least we should seek to have a unity of practice. And that is a practice that is derived from the Word of God. Church life is not free for all. And so we need to suppress our own minds and our own flesh, submit ourselves to the Word of God and seek to have a unity of practice. But I'm not going to be talking about those two things tonight. Okay, those are worthy of discussion, and, and, I, and they do mix in, they play into to what I am going to be talking about. There is this third aspect of unity that I believe the scriptures probably speak of more than any other, and it's what I'm going to focus on tonight, and it is called in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. 
And I've also referred to this as the unity of relationships. And that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about the unity of the brethren, a biblical overview. I'm trying to see what do the scriptures have to say about this idea of our relationship as the children of, of God. The unity of the brethren. The relationship of born-again believers who are pursuing the truth as it is revealed in God's Word. Joined together because of a common bond and a common interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the level at which this unity, as we'll discuss it, will be worked out with other believers will vary because there are different levels of relationship. For example, family. And they're... We want unity in our families. But it's going to be this unity, if you have believing members in your family, this unity may be worked out a little differently practically than it would be, let's say, in a local church. Or in the broader community of saints. I could have unity with a brother or sister in Christ that's not in my church, but the outworking, the functional aspects of that unity are going to be different with that person than a person that I'm covenanted to in my local church or in my own family. So the, 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 there are going to be differences in the outworking, the practice of this unity. Even, even with the world, the scripture says as much as lies within us, we should live peaceably with all men. That, that's a, that's a, an aspect of unity. And yet we know that, that any unity that we might experience with an unbeliever or with the world is going to be only a superficial experience at best. Because living godly in Christ Jesus and seriously following the Lord will not mix with the unregenerate worldview, and you're going to get in trouble in the world. I mean, there's going to be division uh, in the world. And so, and so we're, we're, we're focusing on this unity of the believers. This is unique. This unity is unique. As we're going to see, it's, it's something that we have because of who we are in Christ. You remember the, the, the gospel, we're going to be turning to, the, to, to 1 John, the first epistle. And, and I mean, one of the tests of whether you're even a Christian is whether you love the brethren. And I don't think it's just loving the brethren. I think it's loving them because they are the brethren. Loving them because they are in Christ. Because of who they are. Okay? We're to love our enemies too. But we'll also see that we are to experience this unity as believers because of who we are in Christ and what Christ is in us or His presence in us. And that is the presence of the Spirit which will say a good bit about in the message. Now, unity must never be the ultimate motivation of the believer in relationships. When I wrote that, I kind of thought about that. Is that a, is that a, is that a valid statement? I really believe it is because I believe if, if, if unity is the ultimate motivation of the believer's in our relationships, then that's going to quickly move us to unholy alliances, which is forbidden throughout Scripture. You see, there is a time to divide. 
Brother Jeff will be talking about that. There is a time to divide, even with professing believers. Unity must be the result of living out the life of the Spirit of Christ in relation to others who have been given that same life. I, I, I love Webster's Dictionary, 1828, online edition, definition to unity. I'm gonna, it really sums up my understanding and the thoughts for tonight. I, I saw it after I had done all my preparation, so I thought, that's it. And, and let me read it to you. I should have looked at Webster first, right? Unity of spirit is the oneness which subsists between Christ and His saints, by which the same Spirit dwells in both. Christ and His saints. The same Spirit dwells in both, and both have the same disposition and aims. And it is the oneness of Christians among themselves, united under the same head, having the same Spirit dwelling in them, and possessing the same graces, faith, love, hope, etc. That is a great definition. You can find it online. Webster's Dictionary, 1828. Okay, we're, we're going to do a survey. So, you're ready. I'm not going to turn to all the Scriptures I hear. In fact, I, I had a, a number of these Scriptures... Um, copied and pasted on a sheet of paper. Well, it wasn't on a sheet of paper. It was on my computer, and I forgot to put it on a sheet of paper. So they don't have a printer here, so I don't have it. So we're, you know, I, I just got my notes here, and I've got the references, and so we may, we may be turning to a few um, more than I might like, but uh, I probably won't be turning to all of them for sake of time. The first point is this. Unity is the very perfection of God. That's where we have to start. That's where unity begins. It begins in God. There is unity of essence. And remember, this, this is a survey. This is not a theological course here tonight. This is a survey. But Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You remember Jesus in John chapter 10 after saying, I and my Father are one, later on in verse 38 of that chapter, Jesus makes this amazing statement of unity of essence when He says that you may know and believe that the Father is in Me and I in Him. Jesus communed with His Father about their unity in John chapter 17. I'm not going to turn there right now because we'll turn to those verses later. That's a, a mind-blowing few verses there in John chapter 17, 20 through 23. We'll read those a little later on. But the point I'm making here is that in the very being of God, there is unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and in that unity of essence, there is unity of purpose, which the Scriptures clearly show to us. I... We'll turn to maybe one verse here. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit 
and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, all are involved in this purpose of saving a people for Himself. You can also read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through the triune God together in this purpose of redemption. You see, the triune God created man in His own image. In our image, man was made. In the image of God, man was made. But part of that image lost in the fall was unity. Division immediately occurred when, when man rebelled against God. In Adam, separated from God. The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Or, or dying, you shall die. Death, death came on mankind. There was a separation from God that took place. Division. Adam and Eve no longer one division between them. And then you only have to read through the first six chapters of Genesis to see the incredible division that took place in all of humanity because of sin. Destruction took over. Redemption is God's plan of reconciliation. There's our, a great word for unity right there. Reconciliation. That's the gospel. One with Him. That's God's purpose. Bringing we who are sinners back together. And then, and then with Him. And then one with one another. It's huge. Just how important is unity to God? Well, it was important enough for God to express His loathing of those disturbing it. You remember? In Proverbs chapter 6, the seven things that are an abomination to God. In chapter 6, verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That's an abomination to God. We, we love to get worked up about homosexuality. Same sex, whatever they want to call it. But sowing discord among brethren is an abomination to God. How important is this to God? It's important enough for Jesus to pray for it. John 17, 20 and 21, that they may be one. That's what He prayed for. It's important enough for Jesus to die to secure it. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Ephesians 2 and verse 16. How important is unity to God? Important enough that Jesus gave His life that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Unity is important enough that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to address issues relating to 
disunity and the need for unity and clearly in nine of his 12 or 13 epistles. Nine of them. And arguably all of them. But directly. And I, that's, I have a whole bunch of scriptures here that I was going to turn to. I, I, I just, for sake of time, I won't do that. But you have Romans chapter 12. Maybe some of you are familiar enough with your Bibles to sort of recall some of these passages. But Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Boy, Paul just lays into the Corinthian church over this issue. Chapter 3 and verse 3, part of their, the evidence of their carnality. What's this issue? Chapter 11 and verse 18, as the Apostle talks about the Lord's Supper, he's talking about, you got a problem, Corinthian church. By the way, it's amazing that so many people join together to drink their little cup. And it is truly an isolated activity. They're doing it. It's just me and Jesus. Nowhere can I find in Scripture where, to, where the Lord suffers about just you and Jesus. Am I, am I overstepping my bounds? I can do that under the big oak tree in my backyard. I've had some great times of fellowship in the body and blood of Christ, meditating on, on His death for me with nobody else around. But when I take that cup and that bread with my brothers and sisters, I'm saying something more than simply I'm remembering His death. I'm remembering it with these others for whom He gave His life. Unity. Galatians 5. Why do you bite and devour one another? Remember that passage? Ephesians 4. We'll see that later. Philippians 2. Moving into that section, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Timothy 6, 2 Timothy 2. Entire passages are devoted to the matter. Romans 14, into chapter 15, the whole chapter and into the next chapter. We'll close the service tonight with reading from chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 12. And I didn't even talk about Matthew 18. I preached on that back in the St. Louis Conference. But Matthew 18, Jesus is dealing with this issue. That's the one where, you know, the church discipline passage. That's all we know about Matthew 18. Well, it's all we seem to know about Matthew 18. But I see Matthew 18 as, as dealing with this issue of unity. You can go read it on your own. God is serious about unity. We need to be. So that's the first point. Second, unity is grounded and guaranteed in the eternal purpose of God. Unity is grounded and guaranteed in the eternal purpose of God. I, I, I'm going to have to give credit where credit is due here. Some of these thoughts are, are, are coming from a message they were triggered, and, and I borrowed some, and I don't know how much credit to give except that 
this is where it originated with a message that Al Gerard preached at our conference in um, March this last year. If you want to, you can get on our website and listen to it if you want to, out of Ephesians. I told Brother Al that I'd be saying that. I think he may be here tomorrow. He said he was going to try to become. I, I hope, hopefully he will. There is what I'm calling positional unity of the saints. That is dependent upon God alone. Positional unity of the saints dependent on God alone. I think that's what you find in Ephesians 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in Christ. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. He chose us in Christ. Positionally, we are one in Christ. In Christ. Because of Him, and because of our position in Him, because we are in Him, chosen in Him. This... This, in the purpose of God, this reaches into eternity. And it reaches into eternity. Okay? In Christ, in time, Christ came. In Christ, because of Him, because of what He has done, and because we are in Him, every reason for division is removed. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 you couldn't get any more divided than Jew and Gentile, by the way. And if, if Jew and Gentile can come together, anybody can come together. Alright? And the basis for coming together wasn't that we just learned to accept our differences. The basis for coming together is we're in Christ. But now, verse 13, in Christ... Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And because of Christ, the Spirit indwells us, and He is the common bond. Back in chapter 1, in verse 13, I'm saying that unity is grounded and guaranteed in the eternal purpose of God. And the eternal purpose of God is being worked out in time. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Looking at the Spirit here. In whom ye also trusted, 
after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Do, do you understand how important the Holy Spirit of promise is? I, I don't know that we do. We, we've been afraid, I suppose, because of the charismatic movement to talk of the Holy Spirit. But brethren, the Holy Spirit is critical. He's critical to seeing Christ. He's critical to seeing Christ properly. And He's critical to your relationships one to the other. Chapter 2, verse 18. For, those, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Verse 22. In whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I now I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. Do you see unity there? With all saints. I think there's, there's more than just I'm comprehending something all alone. I'm comprehending with all saints. There's a, an aspect of unity I think that's being spoken of here. If you're, if you're in Christ and the Spirit is in you, He's enlarging your heart to comprehend what I am also comprehending. And that's the basis of, of our unity. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of, of God. And then that verse in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse... 13. For by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit, and we could park it here and, and, and discuss this verse to the point where it would be all convoluted, and you'd walk away thinking, I'm not sure what that verse is saying, but get this. Do you see, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. One Spirit. You see, doctrine, as important as doctrine is, and it is, but doctrine without the Spirit is dead orthodoxy. It's not life-changing. And it's not unifying. How many people do you know who have the same doctrinal statements who can't get along? Correct practice. You see, there is unity of, unity of the faith, unity of doctrine. There is unity of practice, but correct practice without the Spirit of Christ is lifeless activity and it's not the ground of true unity. There will be division. 
in any group of people where the Spirit does not exist, there will be division. Eventually it will happen. I don't care how many documents you put together to say, this is the way we're going to act. This is what we're going to believe. Take away the Spirit. You're going to have problems. But God guarantees the full experience of unity. Brethren, this is part of our hope in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. This is guaranteed. Think for a moment of... Let's go to John 17. And... Maybe this will provoke some discussion here later on. But I'm saying that this is guaranteed. It's guaranteed in God. In Christ guarantees this unity forever. It's our hope. Forever. Jesus prayed in John 17, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee. That they also may be one in Us. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. And the glory which Thou gavest Me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in Me. That, that's, that's phenomenal. That, whatever He's saying here is mind-blowing, really. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. It sounds like something that's supposed to be happening right now because the world sees it. Right? How, how is it then? How is it that we can be one as the Father is in the Son and the Son in the Father? Let me take a stab at this. Go over to 1 John chapter 5, chapter 4. The unity of God is a unity of perfect love. Is it possible that this perfect love is an expression of the Holy Spirit? Those of you who have read Jonathan Edwards know that he talks about this. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned by name in John 17. Okay? But, but, but there is this I in the Father and the Father in me and they how does he say it? That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. How is it that we are joined together with the Father and the Son, as the Father is joined with the Son and the Son with the Father? How, how does that work? What is it that brings us into that unity? I'm suggesting it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And the love which, which the Holy Spirit generates in us has something to do with this binding together. Okay? 
Let's go over to 1 John chapter 4 and see if it makes sense. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. Oh, John, what does that have to do with anything? I, I, it seems like that should drop. Let's just drop a big theological statement here. Boom. Drop that in the middle of this passage on love. And, and then let's move on. Well, of course, that's not what's going on, but that's what it could seem like is going on. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us. That's what John 17 said. Because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. Who produces love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, now I know that can be interpreted more than one way, but as He is, sounds like He's saying, as Jesus is right now, as He writes, as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. The Spirit in us, the promise of the Father, that which Christ has purchased. That which God has guaranteed. How does the world know? You say you love God. But you don't love your brother. You're a liar, right? And so, it, what, I, what I'm understanding John to be saying is, no man has seen God at any time, but when men see God in you, they see God manifest. That's what Jesus prayed in John 17. And God guarantees the full experience of this. It's the present gift of the Holy Spirit that unites us in Christ and enables us to experience what our flesh would otherwise never allow. God dwelling in us now is the interim between eternity past and future. Everything has not yet been reconciled. Ephesians 1.10 has not yet been fulfilled. So there are hindrances to unity. But we can experience unity now. We will experience it forever. Unbroken. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't even have to think about how am I going to get along with it? brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or my wife. <laughs> well, I don't have to worry about it. There won't even be a thought. That's one of the glories of heaven. But brethren, this is something we ought to be experiencing right now. And this is one of the one of the most profound ways we can Proclaim to the world that God is. Is the unity. 
that we are to have. And think about this. Just this, this helped me. Maybe it will help you. Every true believer in Christ is blessed equally in Christ. Now think about that, what that means. You are chosen in Christ for the same reason that I'm chosen in Christ. And it ain't because of you. And it ain't because of me. There aren't degrees of being chosen. I'm more chosen than those folks. Who, no, you, you're either chosen or you're not. It's, it's all in Christ. Right? Christ's redemptive work was no more or less for you or me. It was as much for you as it was for me. If you're in Christ. I, I can claim no superiority. I, I can claim nothing in myself. You can't either. This just puts us down on the... Just a level playing field, doesn't it, so to speak? You know? The Spirit indwells you just as He indwells me. Now, I or you may be quenching or grieving, may be doing a lot of things that, that's why there's so many differences, you know, and practically between us. But you see, if I view you properly, I am able to love you and labor for unity with you for Christ's sake. Not because you satisfy my expectations or because you agree with me or any other self-serving reason. I mean, Jeff, I, I read your book. I like it. Man, I like you much better now. I can get along with you much better now because I agree with your book. Really? Is that the... I, I, I'm not saying that that doesn't play into relationships, but I'm afraid that that becomes too great of an issue. And when I was driving up here, it, it, it well, even before I was driving up here, but, you know, it struck me. Well, I'm going to see, so, I think I'm going to see so-and-so. And, well, they're in Christ with me. And, you know, when I thought about that, it made me kind of excited to see the person. All I thought about was, well, what do we agree on? Now, they don't do church quite like we do. You know? And, and, you know, they... I'm the only one wearing a tie. Well, thank you, Brother Russ. There's only one other person wearing a tie here tonight. And I told him, Brother, they dress... Oh, there's another one. They dress to the max up here. You've got you to wear a tie. I told him that. So God has equipped us in every way as His people to exercise or to experience unity in this life. It's our responsibility 
as spirit indwelt believers to pursue peace and endeavor to keep unity, guard unity. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll wrap it up here. Maybe one of the other brothers will. I don't know how you can talk about unity and not go to Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring. This is no simple task. Flesh is still with us and it's fighting against this thing called unity. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But we are to endeavor, work at this thing, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I was listening to someone preach a message on this passage and they said if you, I forget which word it is in here that they were referring to, maybe it was the prisoner of the Lord. They were saying that if you remember who you are in relationship to Christ, that you are, they use the word tethered, kind of like you're chained to Christ. And so is every other believer. And if you remember that, or you remember how each of you are bound to Christ, that's going to help you an awful lot in relating to one another. Tethered to Christ. I need to get along with you because of your relationship to Christ and my relationship to Christ. We're in Christ together. That's the basis, the foundation. We have the Spirit of Christ. We have His Word. We have everything that we need to experience holy unity. Our responsibility is not to relate to one another based upon external conformity. And brothers and sisters, I've been, I've been there. And I'll tell you what, it's hard once you've been in a place for so long to not be affected by it and continue to be affected by it. But when we are basing our relationships with others upon external conformity, we are being led to a stiff, cold, stale, lifeless, checklist type relationship that most often encourages a spirit of judgment, superiority, or Phariseeism that actually works against holy unity. Doesn't help us toward it. So we're not after uniformity. Uniformity removes distinctions. By the way, uniformity works well for the, um, what is it, the type A personalities. You know, you can do it my way. And everybody else sort of cowers under until type A leaves and another type A comes and then, oh, we're going this way now, you know. And, and the unity is, it's a forced, it's conform, it's not unity, it's conformity. Uniformity. That's not what we're after. You see, uniformity removes distinctions or differences and presses sameness. And may I suggest to you that that's not healthy? It's one of the reasons we're against, among others, that we, well, we would argue against 
same gender. They call it marriage. You know the thing. No, difference is good. God created it that way. You see, this, this isn't unity that's functional to fulfill God's purpose. Take, take the example. It's, it's, in, it's on the news, so I, that's why it's on my mind. And yours too, probably. But think about that. It's not functional. God, didn't, God intended that conjugal relationship to produce something, right? Sameness doesn't produce what it's supposed to produce. It's, 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 it's that way in other relationships as well. You see, if, if uniformity is what we, what we aim for, all would be a hand or all would be a foot. There wouldn't be a body. But unity involves differences joined together for a common purpose to produce a, a harmonious body. Thankfully, after this last Sunday, uh, my wife and I celebrated 35 years of marriage. Maybe it took me 32 or 3 years to get to a point where I could shake off some of the nasty thoughts that had been programmed into my mind and to be able to actually view her differences as a positive thing. Now, husbands and wives, I'm talking to you right now. Okay? Um, man, God never told you to make her you. She's her. Back off. And appreciate. The fact is, you're going to be stronger, man, if you will appreciate her for who she is. Now, God has made her. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be better because of it. That's kind of a little personal note there. But unity involves differences. Joined. Think about that in our churches. Think about that in our families. Think about that in the broader spectrum of the kingdom of God, family of God, body of Christ, however you want to express it. There are differences. And the hand doesn't magnify its difference from the foot, but it works together with the foot to establish a common goal. And so unity is functioning as a whole, as one, with a common goal. And this is where I want to read Romans 15 and make three final statements and I'll be done. Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one with another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God 
even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. There's the common goal. That's what we need to be aiming for. The triune God has called us to a holy and unbroken union with one another in Christ that is the fulfillment of His eternal counsel. It's important to Him. This unity is guaranteed in Christ and will be enjoyed forever. This same triune God has called us to live out this unity in time as we engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church and in the broader context of the family of God. So, as we walk in the Spirit, can I just stop to emphasize that? You will not enjoy unity if you are not walking in the Spirit. Okay, your flesh is going to fight against unity. No matter what the relationship is, the level of the relationship is. You, you, you must daily yield yourself. Isn't that what Romans 6 says? Every day, yield every aspect of your being. Stand at attention, salute Christ. Yield yourself, I'm yours. Spirit of God, take me. Make me what you want me to be. Use me. Fill me with the fruit I need to relate to others as I ought to relate to them. Only then will you enjoy unity. For the sake of the honor of Christ, forget yourself. There's too much of ourselves. That's the problem. Why we, why unity is destroyed so often. There's too much of ourselves in the way. Forget yourself. For the sake of the honor of Christ and the promotion of His name in the world, we've got to fight every fleshly tendency to divide and give ourselves diligently to pursue this holy unity. Well, there's an overview, maybe some thoughts at all. Father, I pray that You would bless these thoughts to our hearts as we probably have parked our minds at different places in this room and grab hold of different points of emphasis, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work to apply Your Word as it is needed to all of our hearts. And we want to grow. We want to improve. We want, we want to experience more of what You have um, guaranteed is, is our hope for eternity. We want to experience more of it now. We want the world to know that you are true God and you are our God. We are your people. So as your son said while he was here upon this earth, they will know that we're his disciples. We have love one for another. So I pray your blessing upon us in this meeting this week in our discussion about these things.
we truly have a lot to think about from that message. We've covered a lot of ground and seen a lot of scripture. And I am reminded again, and it's such a blessing to be reminded of the fact that we are united in Christ Jesus. And there were things that were very touching to me as Brother Kyle preached, you know, thinking about the Lord's table and the fact that it is fellowship. It's an act of fellowship. And it is done with one another to demonstrate the union that we have in Christ. Is it not the body of Christ which is broken for us, of which we all partake? So, such a blessing indeed. And the reminder, too, to always remember that when we interact with other believers, we're interacting with one for whom Christ died. One whom God loves as he loves us. And so we're very thankful for these reminders, and we pray that during this time the Lord would help us with increased unity amongst ourselves, recognizing that we are united in our position in Christ, and nothing can change that. As Brother Kyle said, it's not that I'm more united with Christ than you are, <laughs> but at the same time we can, we can grow in that unity as we interact with one another and as we become more like Christ in our actions and in our thoughts and in our deeds. So we pray that the Lord would bless this time to help us to do this. For any who desire to do so, we've just done one message tonight so we can have some extra time of fellowship. Of course, it is uh, growing later and many of you have traveled to come in today, but we uh, do want to allow time for fellowship at our meeting this week. We will tomorrow, uh, as I mentioned, have breakfast at 8 o'clock, and the breakfast buffet will be open from 8 o'clock till 9.30, but for any who so desire at 9 o'clock, uh, we can join together here and we can have discussion together for any that would like to, and talk about some of the things that we've heard this evening and some of the things that are on our hearts and minds as we consider the things going on around us in this world. And also, uh, let's remember some people in prayer. Um, Brother John, it's good to have you with us. You've had some, some uh, physical issues over the past several weeks, and we didn't know for a while if you were going to be able to be here, and thankful to the Lord's kind providence for you to be here. But let's do remember our Brother John in, in prayer. Uh, let's also remember our Brother Tom Henry. They, uh, Brother Tom hasn't been feeling well, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get to see him, and he and Jeannie, but uh, we don't know at this point if they'll be able to make the trip tomorrow. And so we miss them being with us now, and we do want to uh, remember Brother Tom in prayer as well. Brother Ron Staley, would you close in prayer for us? Father, we do thank Thee for the wonders of Thy grace, mercy toward us in Christ. We do marvel at the glory of redeeming grace and forgiving us and cleansing us from sin. And yet for the purpose of bringing us into reconciliation with Thee and oneness with Thee through Christ and He in us. So as we have heard Thy word, tonight delivered. We do ask thee, our Father, that 
through the work of thy Holy Spirit, even that one whom we receive through the cross of our blessed Savior. We may know thy grace operative among us, that we might be gracious people one toward another, know that love which, uh, with which we are loved by thee, glorious love beyond whatever we could comprehend and truly what we could never deserve. So help us to know how to love one another. Grant us discernment, we pray, without judgmentalism. Grant us thy mercy and teach us to be merciful. And our Father, we do ask for thy special blessing and mercy upon this meeting, the guidance of thy Holy Spirit, thy truth, thy word in our hearts and among us. We thank thee, indeed, especially this evening, for thy mercy in bringing Brother John Hunter our way and uh, for uh, the desire of his heart to be among thy people and for the ministry thou hast granted him. We ask for Brother Tom, Thou wouldest, Father, be with him, grant healing and help and enablement. It would please thee for him to be here and among us. We do thank thee for Brother Ryan and for his people and for the blessing that they are and, and the giving spirit that is in them toward us this week and all the labors they put in for this meeting. We ask our Father first of all and most of all as we conclude this time together that thy name would be magnified and exalted and that it would continue tomorrow in the meetings and the business meeting and the two sessions yet for the preaching of thy word grant the grace and empowerment of thy Holy Spirit upon the speakers and we who hear grant thy work in us and among us, and we'll thank thee in the blessed and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Just a reminder, um, if you're a messenger from the Sovereign Grace Fellowship member church, you can get the uh, ballots from Brother Larry, and you can sign in with Brother Larry. And then also, those of you who are coming in from outside of the hotel and plan on sharing meals with us tomorrow, or Wednesday morning for breakfast. Um, please get some vouchers from Pat Henley. <coughs> we'll look forward to a time of fellowship over meals together tomorrow. The Lord bless you.